Welcome to episode 263 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. On the podcast this week, we'll discuss the idea of super technologies or the combination and subsequent amplification of some of the emerging technologies that we've been discussing on the show for a while. Things like uh, 3D printing and AI or robotics coming together and creating a, sort of a virtuous cycle where they all reinforce one another. The reason that we're going to embark on this discussion today is because uh, MIT uh, Sloan recently released an executive guide called Seven Technologies Remaking the World, uh, which is a PDF that you can download from their site, and we'll link up to that uh, on the Digital Life website so listeners can check it out after the show. As I mentioned, these these are all technologies that you know we've discussed before, but it's, I think, an interesting exercise to think about how these puzzle pieces fit together. And in fact, Dirk, we just a few months ago sort of described a super technology chain of, uh, of our own, uh, which we entitled Smartware. And that uh, was a series of articles that we published uh, with our friends at UX Matters. So there were five or six columns detailing how technologies could come together to enhance uh, how humans uh, can, can do everything from uh, creative functions to uh, the manufacturing of the future. It was gratifying to see how closely what they have presented lines up with the things that we were talking about, but it's also interesting to see the things they had that were a little different. It was the whole thing was was cool. Yeah. So so first, let's uh, break out the seven core technologies that they're addressing that the authors at MIT Sloan are addressing. So those are pervasive computing. Uh, so computing everywhere, uh, obviously some of the underpinnings of the Internet of Things. Uh, they talk about wireless mesh networks. Uh, so being able to get uh, broadband connections, not just via sort of the top-down networks that we're so used to, but being able to chain some of these devices together. Uh, biotechnology, 3D printing, machine learning, which of, of course was a, was a big one that we highlighted as well, and then nanotechnology and robotics. So those are the big seven core technologies. Now, I, I think they did a great page and a half summary of each of those in the reports, and we'll let the listeners check those out. Dirk, did you have any quibble with the technologies they highlighted versus maybe some of the ones that uh, we did? Uh, for instance, I, I see that they're missing augmented reality, virtual reality as a key technology, and that we thought would be pretty important. Yeah, I, I don't have any quibbles with, with what they presented. I mean, they took a little bit different framing than we did. And so they had some things on sort of the, the hardware pipes side that just didn't for, for what we were saying didn't seem terribly relevant, like the wireless mesh networks. I mean, it's true, you know, the, there's, there's more internet connectivity and it's faster and more, more capable. And that's something I sort of took for granted, but they are really, you know, highlighting as one of the key pillars. And I can see that I, it's not how I would frame it, but I can, I can see it. You know, the, 
the two things that we talked about that they didn't mention is, you know, is the augmented reality. And I think to me, that's a pretty, given their framing, that's a pretty big omission. Cause I think the impact of that is going to be massive. And the second one, I'm not as surprised at, which is the identity graphs. You know, they don't at all cover the interrelationship between robust identity graphs on users and how smartware is going to be integrating with, you know, that, that potentially highly customized to each of us environment. Um, but, you know, from, from the standpoint of, of where, how they were looking at it, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have any arguments with the things that they mentioned. So what I find exciting about their analysis and, and how it lines up with our discussion of smartware earlier this year is this idea that there's additional potential or even you know greater potential, not just in the individual technologies themselves, but in their potential as combinations, right? So bringing these different elements together. And they highlight a couple different areas where they think there will be some particularly exciting advances. I mean, healthcare, I think, is, is, is a fairly obvious one. And you can imagine how, how your healthcare information could be used, whether it's uh, your genomic data or your, um, uh, your biometric data, can be used in different ways to more precisely deliver the right medications, the right kinds of treatments at the right times to you. So as an individual, you have this sort of very precise set of data associated with you and then very precise ways of delivering uh, whatever the treatment may be. So, so you can see how everything from, say, 3D printing, uh, a, a particular drug, or you know, even creating that particular drug just for you could you know use any number of these technologies and sort of give you the best therapy just in time so when we're thinking about how these technologies combine i think it's it's probably worth uh, mentioning that these are all sort of seen as separate areas of um of study of research in our current system that we're familiar with. But I, I imagine as we get closer and closer to these technologies bearing fruit, the approach is much, is, is much more going to be about blurring the boundaries between uh, what we see as these, these separate silos right now. So for us, um, Dirk, I think biotechnology is just a completely separate silo that is very different from information technology, which is very different from, you know, the human factors and user experience you know, where we have the majority of our expertise. But, you know, even in the designers that I see coming into the studio now where people have uh, multiple degrees, say, in, in biotech, and, you know, they'll also have uh, comp sci or, you know, user experience or human factors background, these uh, areas are overlapping and I don't think the younger designers, at least the ones who are, who are interested in the, in the work we're doing at the studio, I don't think they see those boundaries in quite the same way. Nor should they. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. And I'm quite jealous, actually, because it's, uh, I mean, I feel like I'm flexible, that I can make the intellectual shift the gears or, or, or change the way I think. But 
I'm afraid also that it's getting harder and harder for me to to think in as flexible a way uh, as I did when I was when I was younger. So just an aside there that that um, for whatever reason these bright lines that I always associated with uh, separate silos are seem almost embedded in my head for for better or for worse. I'm seeing some streaks of gray in your hair there, buddy. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> Not, not a not a happy occurrence. I'm calcifying uh, as we speak. Uh, so, so Dirk, your your takeaways from this idea of super technologies, or or how we can layer different technologies together to create better outcomes. Um, I mean, how you know. I think it starts with awareness and understanding the different things at our, our disposal. I mean, looking at this article from MIT, layering on some things that we're talking about that aren't covered, like alternate reality and identity graphs, looking in other other places and, and getting other ideas and kind of looking across. And, you know, whatever your domain is, you know, there are some domains for which robotics is really important. There are other domains for which it's it's not important at all. And so identifying which of these trends are germane to your organization to uh, you know the the markets that you are in or want to be in and and you know researching reading um, thinking and seeing where things are going and get ahead of it get on board and and you know be part of not just responding to these things coming together but you know help to bring them together yourself which is a daunting task and requires a company not a person at a certain level but that's okay. You know, you, you have to start somewhere and it starts with the awareness and the ideas and, and putting the pieces together. I, I don't think it's rocket science at the end of the day. It just takes focus and effort. So do you think that this is different from other technological revolutions because of this ability to recombine technologies in, in more advantageous ways? So it's the, um, it's the thesis of uh, the, this MIT Sloan report that this is a fundamental difference of, uh, you know, call it this, this next wave of technologies, that it's, it's not uh, a fixed set of technologies, but rather one that has just sort of limitless potential for, for these combinations. I mean, you know, I'm trying to think of examples from the various industrial revolutions. And, and I think that's probably, uh, you know, I think I agree with the author is, is that, the same for you, Dirk? Um, I'm not sure. So at the macro level, right, like you, like you mentioned, various industrial revolutions, like if we look at the the original industrial revolution, the, the big one, you know, the one that, that took us from, you know, practically a cottage industry, you know, rural, rural life into urban life and, and big machines, I mean, that was bringing a lot of things together, too. And so trying to compare the two, which is more or less, I, I, I'm not equipped to do. But what, what I can say is, if we look at the history of computing, the PC revolution was driven by a very narrow band of things around computer hardware and computer software. The internet revolution, 15 years later, 10, 12 years later, was driven essentially by one technology, the internet. Um, the smartphone revolution that was driven by a little bit more of a confluence of things. I mean, the smartphone was sort of the the culminating device, but there, were, there was a lot of stuff um, coming together going into that so that both the smartware as a hardware device as well as the platform as well as the social environment um, were able to come together and make all of us computer users. 
this moment, you know, the, the, what we call the smartware revolution to come is, is going to sort of blow the doors off of all of that. It's going to be at a bigger scale, like the industrial revolution from the standpoint of having significant change to the way we live our lives writ large. So uh, from that standpoint, compared to the history of computing, I do think this, it's highly unusual and, and a little daunting, the breadth of things that are sort of all these different technologies cresting in interesting ways that will allow them to come together and do amazing things. Do I think it's, you know, in the history of all progress in technology is unique? I mean, uh, the scale is probably bigger, but it's all relative. So I'm not, I'm not prepared to say that it's, it's, it's more, more diverse and more synergistic than the Industrial Revolution as the easiest example. But it certainly is unusual compared to, you know, the decades of, you know, computing related growth and evolution that we've had uh, recently. I mean, this is going to be something very different. And the only question is how quickly are the different things going to happen? And to what degree is it going to be creeping change or is it going to be sweeping change? And it's it's going to be fun to live through it and, and, and watch it all unfold. Yeah, I like that creeping uh, <laughs> creeping change versus sweeping change. That's a good turn of phrase because I think that's part of what frustrates people when when we have these discussions because there are changes underneath the surface, of course, and then there's huge huge moments that we all can sort of point to and say, okay, that's when uh, everything changed. Like you know, the the iPhone is is sort of the iconic moment for mobile technology, but I, I think it's it's very hard to see. Uh, what's going on underneath the surface when it comes to some of these technologies, like uh, nanotechnology affects uh, a whole host of materials that we use, you know, sort of uh, in our everyday lives that are commercialized. And we don't see those changes quite in the same way. Although, uh, you know, there there's all sorts of uh, interesting new materials that are based on uh, nanotech, uh, you know, that appear in our, you know, our sports equipment uh, is exceedingly more sophisticated, but there's not that iPhone moment. There's no uh, nano, at least so far, it doesn't have uh, that big cultural moment that coincides with it. So we have this creeping change, or, or at least it's more invisible and, and difficult to detect. Um, one one final point I wanted to make just about this idea of super technologies, the idea that we can combine, you know, different emerging technologies into something greater is that that's the kind of thinking that designers are pretty good at. That is an area where if you look at the sets of skills, you know, around system thinking and uh, sort of being able to see uh, and envision a bigger picture that incorporates a lot of disparate elements, that is what designers really do at their core. Now, we may uh, have a particular tactical focus when it comes to certain technologies, and you obviously have to ship product. But there's what what I feel like, there's lots of opportunities for design to uh, help facilitate these super technologies to be a part of this interesting work. And I, I think a lot of it comes down to being able to be comfortable with perhaps more science, with you know working across teams of engineers and scientists that is only just beginning to uh, 
to surface when it comes to the design conversation. Uh, Dirk, I know you've spoken about this and, and thought about this a lot, but um, uh, this feels like a great opportunity for design as well. Yeah, it, it certainly can be. I mean, I, you know, I take a little bit of issue with, you know, when we talk about the core skill set of designers, I think, unfortunately, a lot of it is more tactical. I don't, I don't think designers writ large are thinking at system level and, and big levels. So I think there's a need for a reorientation and maybe even retraining, um, you know, for designers to really thrive in this environment. I think there's some, of course, who, who will and can and already sort of have those skills and that worldview and way of thinking. But I think for a lot of others, especially the ones we were talking with a couple of weeks ago with Dan Harvey on the show, people who've been trained more and more task-based, the more recent UX, um, you know, sort of uh, diploma mill graduates, you know, from places like General Assembly, you know, there might need to be some more steps in their training to, to get there. But certainly the, the process, the creative process, the skills um, design as a practice does lend itself to problem solving these kind of things. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life. And go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at dneemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 263 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Neumeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>